Good, good. Um, so I thought I'd better explain why I'm sitting down and why I'm hobbling around like a, an old man. Um, and I don't have a fun story at all. I was starting to think up of a good story to say that I had a crunching tackle on the football pitch and um, you should see the other guy, um, but I, I don't. I was bending down for a photograph of my kids and my knee gave way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, two seasons of football, no injuries. Bend down for a photograph at a kindy disco and the knee goes pop. So, yeah, don't know what's going on with it. Knee, knee, knee give way and, and has been pretty sore ever since and it's getting more and more sore. So we're, um, we're on the process of trying to figure out what's going on. So thank goodness for incredible... Um, physios and doctors and stuff that we have here in New Zealand. Um, I know there's frustrations that we don't always get in when we want to get in, but I'm very blessed that we can just actually rock up to a hospital and get some help. Uh, it's not like that for everyone, and um, we were learning last night from the David Friend concert. It's very, very different over there, isn't it? So we're very, we're very privileged in New Zealand to have such good medical help, um, even though I know at times we're all frustrated with it. Um, so very, very, very grateful. Hey, they did such an amazing job last night at David Friend. It was so good. And I was just chatting to Rachel there just before, and they raised in and around nine grand last night. How good is that? It's awesome. We should give them a hand, eh? There's, um, there's obviously still an opportunity for you to continue to give, and um, they have now got a website which you can do that through. So if you just find lovewithoutmeasure.org, is that right? Um, they would love for you to continue to donate over the course of the next few while, and all that money is sent to David and Annalise and the incredible work that they do over in Africa. Um, the, the lead singer of the band last night at the very end was, was pretty beautiful. I got to take her home last night. It was, it was fantastic. For those of you who are new to church, that was my wife. Don't worry. And um, they, did such, they did such a good job. But I thought I'd start with the weather. You know it's going to be a good sermon when we talk about the weather at the very start. But the weather's been a bit weird recently, hasn't it? Has been a bit weird. Um, I don't know if you all got to experience the snow that Pammy had the other day. Like, honestly... We were walking down George Street with the kids, and my kids were like beside themselves that there was snow. And I looked around the rest of like the street, and everyone was videoing snow. And I was just like, uh, clearly you don't get snow often in Palmerston North. Everyone was videoing it and seeing it and going on. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, snow for us back home was exciting for um, about two hours, and then it was terrible because you couldn't do anything. Um, so be grateful the snow doesn't lie in Palmy. Um, but the weather, the weather's been a bit strange. So, you know, one day we have beautiful weather and then next thing we have terrible weather. But it's, um, it's interesting because I live in Calvin Grove, um, shout out to the KG, and um, it has the worst soil I've ever experienced in my life. The rest of you who live around uh, Palmy are very blessed to not have Calvin Grove soil. Um, so for us, we've got about, I was going to say six inches, probably not, but about two inches of actual soil on top and then the rest is clay below. So when it rains... You, it doesn't go anywhere. Like you just have these um, pop-up pools, pop, you know, pop up everywhere around Kelvin Grove, and you just see birds starting to find their wee puddles, and, and you think to yourself, this isn't this isn't normal. Um, and then you put some mole holes in, and you get some storm water to take it all away, and that still doesn't do much either. So it takes about two weeks to cut the grass. You'd need at least two two weeks of good weather. But what I am really thankful for is the fact that I've got a good foundation of my house, because I honestly feel like sometimes it's just going to lift up and float away with all the water that happens around there. But I'm thankful, I'm really thankful for a firm foundation. And this is a wonderful segue into today's message. You're welcome. You're welcome. So today we're talking about a solid foundation. 
We're talking about how Scripture is a solid foundation. So I hope you've all done your pre-reading um, for today's, today's service. Um, but let me, let me tell you a few stories um, that I have come across in the last wee while. I had a privilege of going along to a Gideon's conference recently um, that Mark Thompson and Rachel Thompson invited me along to come along to. And it was a great night um, where we spent hearing stories of how Gideon's is going. And um, we've been giving out free Gideon Bibles over this series, um, which are free to people. If you don't have a physical Bible, then you're welcome to take one. But I want to tell you one of the testimonies that we heard that night, which really impacted me. And um, I, I just wants to show you the power of, of God's Scripture. So there was this guy who um, was trained in, in murdering and planting bombs in the Middle East, and his job was to assassinate Christians. His role was to um, find different ways in which he could do that, and there was this one time um, that a group of pastors in the Middle East were attending a conference, and he was given the task of planting a bomb on the bus that was going to take them to the conference. So his, his role was to do that. He, he uh, put the bomb in place, and the pastors took off on their trip, obviously totally unaware of the fact that there was a bomb planted on the bus. But about halfway down the road when they were going to the, the conference, the bus broke down. And they were all escorted off the bus and they got a new bus. And the pastors went off and went to their conference. But there's a sad, sad line in this story because they fixed the bus and then the bus continued to go on down the road with people from his own nation. And that bus um, detonated and blew up and killed a lot of his own people. Now the leaders of the terrorist group that he worked for um, weren't happy about this and they reported him to the police and he was put into prison for life. So he finds himself in a cell room um, with one other guy, and this guy happens to be a Christian. And in the cell room, there's this, there's this little um, Gideon Bible that has the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the New Testament. And he looks at the beautiful white pages, and he's a prolific um, smoker. He looks at the beautiful white pages and thinks, oh, rollies. <laughs> so he decides to tear out the pages of the Bible, unknown to his, his partner in the room, and he, he starts to smoke cigarettes of these pages of the Gideon's New Testament. And he does this for a period of time, and... and um, he um, one night then has this incident where his health deteriorates really quickly. And it turns out that his lungs were failing because of the ink and the paper that they were using um, from the Bible. And the guy starts to pass away. And he mutters a few words because he knew, he knew the guy who was with him was a Christian. And he said, would you pray for me? Now, this is someone who's been trained to assassinate Christians, remember. And he said, would you pray for me? And by God's grace, he was healed. Miraculously came through. And they had this moment where they realized that God's word is true and it's powerful. So the guy who was in the cell with them decided to get another Gideon's Bible because that, that's what the Gideons do. They plant Bibles in, in prisons and hotels and different places. And they started to read through the New Testament together. And this guy fell in love with Jesus. He became a Christian. And the guy who was telling us this testimony was able to tell us how this all went because he was at a conference once and the guy who was set out to kill all those Christians, was sharing his testimony in a room full of other Christians. Isn't it incredible what God's Word can do for people? Truly amazing how it can transform people's lives. This, this um, specific Bible, um, this, is the, this is a Gideon's Bible, and, and it was given to someone who didn't, who didn't appreciate the Bible at all. And this person had um, um, decided to, to leave this Bible here at Crossroads for us, and um, he's well known to us. He's a guy who lives locally who, who, doesn't, who doesn't like uh, Christianity or God or, or the Bible. 
And he, he decided to leave this Bible for us in a service one Sunday morning. None of you guys will be aware of this, but this, this happened. And on the outside of the book, uh, outside of the Bible, he, he had written Book of Lies, Book of Lies, version five and six. And then he proceeded to rip up the pages inside the Bible to express his hatred towards what was in the words of this book. He gave us a couple of banknotes that were the, the bank of hell. Very, very, very sad reality. Um, when I saw this, I, I was deeply impacted by this because it made me feel really upset for this guy. This was his story. This is he, how he felt he could express himself by destroying it. Um, but I started to do some looking through this, the text, and it's interesting. He's, he's went about it in such a way to cut the Bible in various different forms. But the verses of scriptures that I needed for today and the verses of scripture that we've been using right through this series remain completely untouched. Completely untouched. So if you're with me this morning and you want to open up your Bible, then let's do that together. And I'm going to use this Bible this morning because God's Word will never be destroyed. Matthew chapter 7, turn with me. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 24 through 29. Um, in your discussion guide, it finished at 27, but I just want to borrow two verses extra, if that's okay. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the, be on the screen. So um, let's read. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and it was a great it, and the great wa was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And this is God's beautiful word. It is good to have the peace of mind to have a good foundation in your house, especially for those who live in Kelvin Grove. It's wonderful, isn't it? But it's more important, it's more important to understand what the foundation is like for your spiritual house, and your spiritual house being you. The storms might come, sorry, the storms will come um, against you spiritually. And Jesus talks about it in this passage, that he brings this Sermon of the Mount. And by the way, if you want to read the best sermon there ever was, listen to the best sermon there ever was, look at the Sermon of the Mount. It's Jesus teaching, and it is incredible. It is incredible. Best sermon you'll ever hear. But anyway, he's bringing this to the close. He's bringing this to the climax of his sermon, and he's wrapping it all up, and he starts to talk about these two spiritual houses. You can either build your house on a rock, or you can build your house on the sand. And he shows us of the, the importance of us building on a rock, building on a rock. And obviously, we're referring to this spiritually. So I'll refer to that quite a few times throughout this sermon, but we're going to look at building our house on a rock. Now, when I was um, looking at the passage and reading through this, and I've just read it now to you, does anybody start thinking of the chorus that you sang in Sunday school? The wise man built his house. Do you know what? The wise man built his house upon the... The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. And the rains came down, and the floods went... Oh, no, you oh, stop, stop, stop. We never did that God at home. So when we got to that bit, when the rains came down and the floods went, whoop! 
got to have impact and dramaticness in people. That's how you remember these things as kids. Anyway, we'll get to the rest of that song some other time. But I thought of it straight away. And then I found like there's different versions of that song too. And then Sarah said to me, are you going to rattle off these versions? And I was like, oh, nah, save, the, save you all the embarrassment. But I looked them up. They're really good. There's like lots of different kids' versions of this story. Um, but ultimately, we're at the crux of the song, and it says, build our house upon the rock. Build our house upon the rock. So the storms on the house of the rock. Let's look at what it means, that the, what this storm is all about. So one of the things you should notice from this passage is that the storms that we hear about and the storms that we're reading about, they're actually the same storms on both houses. Okay, it's important to note that it's actually the same storms that they're talking to and referring to that happens to both houses. How do we know this? Verse 25, the, the house was built upon the rock, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Verse 27, for the house on the sand, the rains fell, the floods came, and the wind blew. Exact same storms on both houses. So this tells us that the same trials, the same, same, same harm, the same rain, the same floods, the same winds were exactly the same on both houses. That's really important to note. So one of the things that we should learn is that those of us who follow Jesus are not somehow exempt from the storms of life. The trials that, that we build our life, or we build our house upon a rock, but yet we will still experience storms. You know, it's not like, okay, now I'm a Christian, nothing bad is going to happen. Quite honestly, most of you have probably figured that out by now. But as a Christian, there will be times when we're sick. There's times when we have problems. There's times when we have issues with our jobs. There's times when we have struggles with our marriages, with our kids. And sometimes we'll have rain, flood, and winds all at once. And it feels pretty overwhelming at times. You know, the message of Christianity is not ask Jesus into your heart, and everything will be smooth and easy from this day forward. Unfortunately, that's a false gospel. That's not a reality for all of us. You know, you're setting yourself up for some sort of bitter disappointment if you think that's what's true. The rains and the floods and the wind is everyone will experience in life. But here's the kicker. Those who build their house upon the rock, as well as those who build their house upon the sand, the storms of life are common to all of us. But I want you to take this point. The difference is not that you don't have storms as a Christian. The difference is that a Christian, as a Christian, you have a foundation that holds you up through the storms. I want to say it again. The difference is not that you don't have storms as Christians. The difference is that as Christians, you have a foundation that holds you up through the storms. Amen? Being a, being a Christian doesn't mean that we don't get ill, that we don't have horrible diseases or long battles of illness, or being a Christian um, doesn't, doesn't mean that we're exempt from that. But being a Christian means that we have a tough, through tough situations, we have a firm foundation. Being a, being a Christian doesn't spare us from losing a loved one in a, in a horrible accident. But being a Christian assures us that, the, that if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will be in heaven. Being a Christian doesn't exempt us from pain that is caused by others. But being a Christian should bring us close to a community who will care for us and love us and show how God loves us even when we can't love ourselves. And in the same way, being a follower of Jesus will, will not keep you from rain, floods, and winds and all kinds of trials in your life. But when we do experience those things, we can have a peace and a strength that we can stand and not fall because we built our life upon a rock, upon a rock. So what is the house of the rock? We're using language here that we read in a text and you might think, what? Like, why are you referring to a rock? What does that even mean? 
I think it's important to sort of tell you what it doesn't mean first before I tell you what it does mean. I think a lot of us mean, think sometimes that when we build our life upon the rock, it means that, you know, I'm simply saying that Jesus is my rock. People th say things like, Jesus is my rock, so I'm going to stand and not fall. And you know, saying that Jesus is your rock is obviously a very good, great confession of faith, 100%. But I don't believe that's what Jesus is indicating here solely. I think there's more to it. I think there's more to what he means by building your life upon a rock. Because it's not as easy just to say it. Because look at verse, um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. So a few verses before it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. So just saying Jesus is the Lord is not building your life on the rock. So what does it mean to build your life upon the rock? Well, we need to remember that this is, a, this is an illustration that Jesus is painting here. Okay, this is a picture. This is a word picture that he's given to us. Um, in verse 24, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and act upon them may be like someone who built his house, built his house on the rock. So he's comparing it. It's an illustration. He's saying that, don't worry, I'm going to give you the interpretation of it so you don't have to get too confused. He specifically tells us what it means. He says, the man who built his house on the rock is an illustration of a person who hears the words of mine and acts upon them. He does something about it. He says, the man who built his house on the sand is a picture of a man who hears the words of mine but does not act upon them. Are you with me? So building your house on a rock means doing what Jesus says. Living out what Jesus teaches. Living out what is written in this book. Following through with what is taught to us. Building your house in the sand means not doing what Jesus says. You see, it's important for us to understand because there's lots of people who come to church and we think, you know, I've built my house upon the rock. I go to church every Sunday. I hear the word of the Lord. And both people who come to church regularly and both people who act it out, understand this, both men in the story they hear the words of Jesus. Both the foolish man, both the wise man, they both hear the words of Jesus. The difference here is, was not that the man who came and listened to Jesus and one other didn't. That wasn't the case. One person didn't listen and the other person didn't. The difference isn't here if we could think about it in our context that one person came to church and one person didn't. No, 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 no. This, these men, both of them were interacting with what Jesus was saying. Jesus says both heard the words. Both possibly went to the same church. The difference is not that they didn't hear. The difference is that one did what he heard and the other one didn't. So here at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, there's one thing you've got to get. Merely hearing what I said and the message is not enough. You have to therefore go ahead and do it. You have to go ahead and do it. You know, I think it's really interesting in the light of this, the verses that Matthew that we borrowed for this week, at the end of that passage, when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You can just picture this as they leave the Sermon on the Mount. They're probably going about going, wow, wasn't that incredible? He's much better than our boring rabbis. He's an amazing teacher. He's got some of the most incredible illustrations I've ever heard. He really makes you think, doesn't he? And I guess for some of them, they probably thought that's the response done. I've responded by telling other people it was pretty good. 
He said, the one who builds his life upon the rock is the one that implements what is taught. You know, the one who hears his words and they think it's really neat, but actually the one who builds their house upon the rock is the person who implements it. So, I want to be really honest. When I was preparing for this message and I was thinking this through, I thought, right, Ruben, be careful you're not a hypocrite here. Because during, during the prep um, of, of, of this message, I, I felt the Lord speaking to me in a real way. And, you know, I've sat through many sermons where I felt God say to me sp- specific things. And then I leave thinking, wow, there's absolutely a lot I need to change in my life. And I think to myself, that was an incredible message, and God really orchestrated everything that was needed to be said in that message. And I walk through the door like high on cloud nine, ready to implement and change the world. And then I get home, I go to bed, I get up the next morning, and boom, nothing. Nothing changes. I don't implement one thing. I don't implement one thing. So I thought to myself, how can I sit up here and say this to you and then expect you to go and do it? Because that's wrong of me. Truth be told, um, I'm looking at myself as much as I'm sharing with, you, with, with, this, with you this morning as well. I think it's an age-old problem, and we don't want to give that an excuse, that we know what we need to do. Totally, we know what we need to do. Not bend down for photographs with your kids. That's a terrible thing to do. We know what we need to do, but we struggle to do it, don't we? Who identifies with that? You know, we've been left with some incredible challenges from this platform. Some fantastic sermons over the years. And you guys have been here, some of you have been here a lot longer than I have been. And we've been challenged to do different things and go out of here and change the way we do or act differently or are called to do something different. And I wonder, I truly wonder, and I know some people have, there's glory in this and there's a, there's a, there's a testament to God's faithfulness because we have seen some incredible changes in people's lives and it is all for His glory. But I wonder if each and every one of us went away challenged and implemented what is taught, what things would be like for us. You see, just like that guy who was tasked with killing those Christians, this book does actually change people. It does change people's lives. There's incredible power in this book. It is truly magnificent. You know, we heard about how it was inspired, and I'll recap that for this this morning. It's inspired by God. It's truth because God is truth. And the reality is as well that this book is authoritative. It is. And there's a reason behind that, and we'll get to that. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, great passage of Scripture says this, Do not merely listen to the Word, or so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks in t- um, intently into the perfect law and gives freedom, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. Wow. So how is a person who hears the Word deceiving? Because one who hears the Word often thinks, you know, I've done all what I need to do by simply just reading it and that's it. I've listened to it. I know it's truth and that's enough. But we miss the part of actually living it out and doing it. There's a really, really interesting passage of Scripture in the New Testament. All of this is interesting. But there's an interesting part around King Herod. Let me introduce you to King Herod. He's probably one of the wickedest kings who ever lived during the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. 
He was committing adultery with his brother's wife. He was, had John the Baptist arrested because he didn't like that John the Baptist preached, what, um, what, uh, preached against what Herod was actually doing. You know, it kind of was a sore spot for him as a leader. He was doing something wrong and someone called him out on it and he didn't like it. That's an interesting thought. But interestingly enough, if you read Mark chapter 6, verse 20, and this is true, you can look it up. It tells us that Herod used to enjoy listening to him. Herod used to enjoy listening to what John the Baptist had to say, apart from the part <laughs> where it started talking about adultery. This wicked king, living in open adultery, enjoyed listening to the teaching of God's Word. There is power in the Word of God. And the thing is, you might know what the truth is. You might say, but I, I come to church. I like the sermons. So did Herod. And he was one of the most wicked people in the Bible. You see, being a real Christian is not just about hearing the word, but it's also doing it. Amen? You know, we saw in our last series where we talked about the good news of Jesus. We talked about salvation and how we gain salvation, which is becoming part of the church family, becoming part of God's family, the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And isn't it good to know that our, our salvation isn't based on what we do? All right? It's not based on, I don't want you to hear that I'm telling you that you need to come to do more, do more works. What I'm saying is that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ's work on the cross alone. But if you're saved by grace alone, you should show the fruit of what it is by doing what it says in the Word. You don't just listen to it. You won't just read it, but you'll do it as well. And we'll have a desire to do it because we love God. Very simply put, the person who builds their life upon the rock is the person who does what Jesus says. So how do we do that? How do we build our house on the rock? How do we do this? You see, when Jesus was walking on the earth and teaching, he was talking about building our, house, our life on the rock. And he meant if he told the disciples to do something, he, you know, usually they would do it. Actually, you know what? They did it. You know, when Jesus said do something, they did it. They might have done it begrudgingly, but they, they did it. When, when Matthew told, was told to leave the tax office and come and follow him, which would have been hard for someone who loved the money, um, but he built his life on the rock and he got up and left his office and he started following Jesus. When he told the disciples to take the loaves of bread out to the multitude of people, um, that was about building their life on the rock because they were putting faith on what Jesus was saying and then they were there applying it to their lives. The disciples thought, this is absolutely crazy. What are we doing? And guess what? Jesus was right. They built their, they built their lives upon the rock and they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. You know, things are different for us today because we don't have Jesus physically present with us here right now at the moment, giving us the commands the same way the disciples do, but he's given us his commands through his word, and he's also given us a thing called the Holy Spirit who prompts us to do things. And our call is to build our lives upon the rock by doing what Jesus tells us in his word and what his spirit prompts us to do. If you read it, you hear it, you get taught it, then you live it out. Simple. Simple. So today, if you want to build your life upon the rock, if you want to start with a firm foundation, when the storms of life come against us, it's really important that we get tucked into this. It's really important that we dive into God's Word and understand the truth behind what we believe. Listen to God's Word regularly. Use the wisdom and the discernment that comes from listening to His Spirit so that we know what He's telling us to do. And as we've seen, you know, just hearing it and reading it isn't enough, but we actually got to put it into action. Do what we hear, do what we read. It's incredible. 
I reckon the first step we need to do for each and every one of us, and if you're not already doing this, I encourage you to get involved in a Bible study of some description. Doing it with other people it holds you accountable. And one of the ways you can do that is being part of one of our connect groups. Hugely important. Hugely important. You'll come here each week and we'll be teaching God's Word. We'll never not teach God's Word here. But you'll, you'll need to study it. And if you don't want to study it on your own, then I encourage you to get part of a connect group and start studying God's Word together. Hugely important. See, one of the biggest problems we have as Christians is that we, we don't read it enough. Most of us have Bibles. Most of us have Bibles in our home. Those of you who don't, there's a free one for you today. Uh, but many of us are not really reading them at all, you know. Uh, and at times when life is really, really busy, what's the first thing that gives? Our personal, testimony, our personal devotion with God. And if we're reading them, um, sometimes it's just a quick one word, uh, one verse devotional, which is obviously good to get some scripture into your life. I, I appreciate that. But it sort of feels like the starvation diet, that you have one wee quick verse and that'll do you for at least two weeks. Um, but it's important that we start getting tucked into God's word and reading it regularly. So some of us, for a starting place to understand how to build your life upon the rock is to, is to read God's Word. If you're struggling to know where to start, I reckon it's always a good place to start at the beginning. Um, and you can start with the second book. We're, we're privileged to have an Old and a New Testament. The New Testament will explain the life of Jesus really well for you, and then you can jump into the Old Testament. Um, so if you want to read through something that you haven't read before in the Bible, then I encourage you, if you're a new believer or thinking about Christianity, um, Matthew is a good place to start and read through the Gospels. Um, those of us who have been a Christian for a while, I encourage you to read the whole Bible. Every part of it is very, very important. There's lots of um, really good reading plans on the old um, Bible app that'll take you through the Bible in the year. Um, there's one particular one that speaks really um, well to me in my life is the um, one that Nicky Gumbel has come up with over in, um, in the UK. It's the Bible in the year. And if you read that, um, Nicky will give you a bit of a thought after each reading every day. And then his beautiful wife, Pippa, will go, Pippa adds, and adds a wee bit onto the end of it. It's very good, very good. So look it up. Um, I think, you know, as I said, um, the first part is obviously very important to start reading the Bible. The second part is very important as well, is that we not only just read the Bible, but we're committed to do what it says. We're committed to do what it says. Not just reading the Bible. You know, we might think to ourselves, oh, yeah, but I'm not like those other people. I, I read the Scriptures every day. I'm much more spiritual than other people. I, I read my daily Bible reading every day, and I tick it off my list. You know, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's important. Like, a lot, a lot of us will do that and then not actually apply any of it to our lives. It's important that we apply it to our lives and check it. Not just tick the box of doing my daily reading, but actually applying it to our lives. It's hugely important. I, I'm reminded of Samuel. When he, when he cried out to God, he goes, Speak, Lord. For your servants listening. That implies that he's going to do something about it, right? It's important to do it. So are you going to do, are you going to do something about what God's word shows you in his words this morning? Are we, are we going to do something about it? Are we going to do something about these words that we've heard this morning and all these messages that we hear? We're called to something. We're called to think about things. We're, get, we're called to build our house upon a solid foundation. And you know, I have to admit, I, I enjoy, um, obviously it's very encouraging when people come up after the service and they say, oh, that was a great message. Um, obviously, every, every pastor needs to be encouraged in what they do. I encourage you to keep encouraging our pastors and our people who speak from the front. It's a big deal coming up here and doing that. Um, side note, we also hear what people don't like to. Um, but the most encouraging thing, the most encouraging thing is when someone tells you that they're doing what we've been teaching, that we're doing. And later on in the service, we're going to see that because Callum Byrne is getting baptized this morning. 
He's going to be obedient to what God's word has said, and he's going to be baptized. He's going to live out what God has asked him to do. That's incredible, isn't it? So let's get really specific. When is the last time, I want you to think about this for a second, when is the last time you've purposely changed something in your life and did something different that you were going to do before because of what you read or because of what you heard in the Word of God? When is the last time you've changed something in your life? You know, when is the last time someone Somebody did something to you or said something offensive to you and you're thinking in your head, you know, I'm going to let him have it. But then you read what God's word says in Proverbs and said, oh no, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. So you didn't do it. When is the last time you prayed differently because of what you read in, when Jesus outlined in Matthew 6 or God's word directed you to, to pray for someone in a very specific way? When is the last time you've been impacted by that? When is the last time that you didn't really feel like forgiving someone, um, but you did it because you read that Jesus commanded you to and that he will only forgive you if you forgive others? When was the last time you didn't watch a TV show or look at a certain website because you read in Psalm 101 verse 3 that I will set no worthless thing before my eyes? When is the last time you've changed something in your life or you did something differently that you were going to do because of what you've read or what you've heard in God's Word? Is the Word of God impacting your life? You know, church, we're living in, in really weird times. You know, there's war. Um, we've seen economic collapse. We've seen moral and spiritual collapse in leaders. There's been personal tragedy, testing of one kind or another all ahead of us. You know, that's not going to stop. We will be tested. Jesus made that clear to us. But just like Jesus said here, the rain is about to fall. The floods are about to come. The winds are going to blow up and burst against our lives. Are you going to stand tall on a firm foundation? And it all depends on one thing, is what our lives are built upon. What our lives are built upon. You see, this word of God is authoritative. It will help us to be better and stronger followers of Jesus. And you know, some people are really highly offended by this book. Really offended by this book. And as we read Scripture, some of it might seem hard for us to understand or get our heads around or we don't really like it. But I want you to understand where this book, of, book comes from. It comes from a God that has unconditional love for you. It comes from a God that has unconditional love for you. And if we live by the book, if we experience him more, God's, world, God's word will hurt us at times because it will call us out on how we live. Just like King Herod, he didn't like the truth. But when we apply it, just picture this, when we apply it, it's like a gentle father just correcting us, correcting his children. And God's word can do that to us. But know that it comes from a place of love towards you. Unconditional, pure, and beautiful love for each and every person. So one of the practical things that we've given you this week in your discussion guide, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, is how to read the Bible. So each and every day, hopefully, we all use soap at some point in the day. And it's been talked about quite a bit these days, you know, make sure you wash and sanitize your hands and all that sort of stuff. So soap's highly important. All you nurses are like, yes, it is. Soap. Firstly, 
Scripture. Read a short Bible passage out loud or write it out. We think that's important. It's good for us to do that. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you, you're, you're all mature people here. You can probably do more than one verse, okay? Read a short passage of Scripture. Read it out loud or write it out. Gets it into our mind. It's good to recite Scripture. Secondly, observation. Observe it. What do you, know, what do you notice about these verses? What do you think the main message is? What verses or words or ideas jump out to you? We think that's important. Observe what the text is saying. And just so you're um, becoming better theologians, make sure you read round the text and don't just take a verse out of context and go, oh, that's a nice verse. Make sure we read what the verse means is important. Okay? Thirdly, application. We can listen to it. We can read it. But we've got to apply it. We've got to live it out. Ask God what He wants to apply these verses in your own life. Be challenged by it. And fourthly, really importantly, pray. Pray for yourself, pray for your others, pray for your understanding of what you've just read. We think it's really good that we're reading Scripture regularly. So we believe truly if you do this regularly, every day as possible, every day if possible, that we will continue refining who we're supposed to be in Christ. God's Word is authoritative. It's powerful, and it can change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you that it's directly inspired by you. We thank you that we know it's truth because you're truth. And third, Lord, we thank you that it is authoritative. It is, has got power. It is living. It is real. And it can impact our lives. So, Father, this morning as we've been challenged to think about how we do that, how do we read Scripture more, and how do we apply it to our lives, I pray, Lord, that we'll not just be hearers of the Word, but we'll also be doers of the Word. And, Father, one of the things in your, in your Word it talks about, and um, Alan's mentioned this already this morning, that in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, specifically in Corinthians, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, um, and He says to them, Here is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and he broke it. He took the cup. The bread symbolizes his body. The cup symbolizes the blood. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's the meal that we can partake in together to remember the wonderful work of Jesus. And praise God, Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose again the third day. We worship a living God. So this morning, Father, we thank you for communion. We thank you that we can do this and we will continue to do it until you return. We praise your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Amen.